0: All righty, let's see what we can talk about tonight that's interesting. Talk about some stuff that's really... I'm going to be teaching out the New Living Translation tonight. I I read this a few times out of the New Living Translation, and uh, it's really quite uh, easy, I think, to understand out of the New Living Translation. Well, I say that. No, no, no. I guess it's Paul's writing. I mean, I'm going to be just like Peter. You know, Peter said Paul writes some things that's very difficult to understand. And he did. You know, he wrote some things that I really, I really think they're not that complicated. But we make them complicated. And that seems to be the whole Bible as far as that goes. We read the Word of God and it couldn't possibly mean what it says. <laughs> Is that right? That's right. I mean, if it, if it does, then we're in trouble, aren't we? Why would
1: they call it right?
0: Yeah, I was, uh, I was just talking to uh, some people back here a while ago about these kind of things. And uh, I said, you know, it's amazing. Uh, I've talked to several different Ph.D.s at the seminary about some of the things that really bugged me over the years about the Bible. And one of those was that, you know, they always told me, you know, that God, in His infinite love and grace, He would never do nothing to harm one of us. You know, I mean, that's our loving, kind God. You know, and they said He would never do anything to hurt one of us, never, under no conditions. And I thought, now, wait a
1: minute.
0: (coughs) There's something here I don't understand. He says he is a daddy and he's a daddy like we're daddies to our children. Now, my daddy loved me with all his heart, but he sure did hurt me a few times. (laughs) Did your daddy love you, Ty? Yeah, but you deserved it more. Oh, look at that quick answer, huh? I deserved it more than he did. Oh my goodness gracious. Well, most of us had a daddy, not all of us, but most of us had a daddy that loved us and he disciplined us. you know, and it hurt you know when when Daddy disciplined you, didn't it, or at least it did me, and he even gives those kind of examples in the Bible, and I think, okay, there's something about this then if i when I see these things, and of course, one of the things that used to really bug me. Uh, You know, when I read, every time I'd go somewhere and somebody would be teaching about Pharaoh and where it would say how God hardened Pharaoh's heart so he could show his glory in the earth. I'd ask a question. Now, wait a minute now. It says here that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Uh, What do you think about that? Well, no, no, that's not exactly what it means, certainly. I said, no, wait a minute. But it says, but you know... God allowed Pharaoh's heart. He allowed him to harden his heart. I said, but that's not what it says. That's not what it says at all. It says God hardened Pharaoh's heart to show His glory in the earth. I said, no. I, I said, I don't understand this. Well, I could never get a good answer. And then I came over a little bit further over there, and then Saul, you know, he was made king, and then Saul, he was told to kill all of the people he went out to get. Animals and everything. He wanted to bring nothing back. He was to destroy, kill everything. Men, women, and children. And I thought, you know, that Lord, I I can't imagine God telling one of his men to do such a thing. But it's written. It's written. And so I'd ask the question, now, Saul, when he went out, he didn't kill everything. He kept some, and he brought them in. And when the prophet heard the bleeding and the moving, he said, What is that noise? He said, Well, I kept some of the nicer animals and things to sacrifice to God. He said, But you were disobedient. That's not what God told you to do. He told you to kill them all. But I made the decision that I'll bring some back to give to God. You know that, that sounds logical. Sounds nice, doesn't it? But was that what God wanted him to do? So it says, Because of Saul's disobedience, an evil spirit from the Lord was sent to torment Saul. So I'd ask the question, uh, Where did this evil spirit come from? This says this thing came from God. Well, in that sermon, that's not what it means because a loving God would never send a demon against us. Well, now there's a lady back there who believes the Word. You know, so, I mean, when you get a hold of that, When you get a hold of that, you stop trying to rationalize the word, just believe it, listen to it, whatever it says, do it. That's right. You hear it, you obey it, and you do what it says. And then, he says, if you love me and do what I say, then I will make everything you do prosper. Now, I like that, don't you? Whatever you set your hands to, I will bless it. Ooh, I love that too. So I mean I begin to read enough things in there that I thought, Now, you know, under this new covenant he's given us, the things he has he says he's done for me, that he's forgiven all of my sins, but then he tells me to go and sin no more. So Lord, that means if I can do this, which I found out I haven't been able to do it yet, you know, but I'm working on it. If I can at least walk in as close to obedience, in fact, Sharon and I was talking today about these things out at the ministry center uh she said, "You know, three years ago when I came to your ministry, I was sick and afflicted all over I mean from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. I mean she had every kind of problem uh, uh something wrong with her brain, uh, she'd already had surgery, i think once and and then her arms and her hip and her back and her allergies, and I mean, you name it, she had it. But see, she had never been taught that sin is what brings these things into her life. But she came here, and I taught her that. She repented of all of her sins, and then she saw herself get healed over a weekend and a little bit of time after we prayed for her, after she repented and stood on God's Word. And so she saw a demonstration of the Spirit's power by doing what God says. And for a woman that had all, all these problems, then she said, I want to walk in this kind of faith. I want to be able to pray for people and see God answer my prayer. So this woman came to two four-hour healing schools every month. I mean, every I had one here and one in Justin. Every month she came to every one of them. She came to every Tuesday night Bible study for two hours She came to every Sunday afternoon service, and anything else we did, she was there. I don't think she missed a single teaching for over two years, maybe two and a half years. But she also had her private time between her and the king at home. She studied the word, you know, extra. Some people would think, my goodness, if I go to two four-hour teachings a week, and then... Another two hour on Tuesday night and another two hour on Sunday afternoon, that ought to be enough for God. The rest of the time, I can watch television or take a break. But that ain't going to work. That ain't going to work. It won't bring the kind of power that she's brought into her life. Now then, she gets her prayers answered now in in her own life. You know, I mean, she is the only human being I have ever seen that I know of right now to this point that had two teeth diagnosed as needing root canals and crowns on them, and she said, nope, I'm not going to have them fixed. She said, Jesus is going to heal them, and she came to me, we prayed the prayer of faith for her on Sunday, and she said, once we pray and agree, it is written, it's done. Now see, that's real faith. That's real faith. So she just praised and worshipped the Lord that she had perfect, solid teeth. So several months later, eight or whatever months later, six or eight months later, she goes back to have her teeth cleaned, and the doctor says, well, Sharon, don't you think we ought to do your root canals uh, and crowns? (coughs) She said, there's not anything wrong with my teeth. And they said, no, root canals and crowns don't get well. Well, with Jesus, what's wrong? What's What's possible with Jesus? He said, if you have faith and doubt not, nothing is impossible. So that tells us where we live. Thank you, Lord. Bless this water in Jesus' name. So the doctor goes so far as to say, okay then, I'll pay for the x-rays because I want to see what your teeth look like. So she says, well, okay, you can check them. I just think we'll pay for it. So he exorbade them and come back a little later, there, a few minutes after checking them, said, Well, whatever you're doing, keep doing it because there is nothing wrong with those two teeth. You know, they have, uh, they're solid and you don't need a root canal, or don't need a crown. Now, that woman back there in the blue and the black jacket sitting back on the back, that's Sharon. Uh, she, whoops, thank you, Joseph. I uh, didn't see that fall over. She is the only woman. I have ever known personally that got two teeth healed. I know one Baptist preacher, and Ty knows him too, and his name was Bob Shadows. I heard him tell a story one night where he prayed for a girl down Christ for the Nations had a tooth missing, totally missing. She would had it pulled, and I was in the church and heard him tell this myself personally. Now I don't know if it's true or not. I assume it is since he told it. He was a man of, of you know, pretty great faith. And whenever this girl came up, after he'd taught about faith, she came up and said, Brother Bob, I want you to pray that God will give me a new tooth. And he said, well, where's it missing? She opened her mouth, and he, she said, right here. And she started to run her tongue over there, and Bob said, I looked down in her mouth, and just as I did, a brand new tooth this one, Right up there. I saw the tooth come in from right up. And he said, as I saw that, I thought, wow, the girl run her tooth over and to said, right. She said, it's not, it's not, it's there. He's already given it to me. Now, she obviously had faith like you did, Sharon. She got a brand new tooth from God. Now, what can God do? That's where we got to get as Christians. We got to get to the point where we believe that with God, what he said is true. With me, nothing is impossible. So, But you believe Him by faith. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Faith. Because without it, you're trying to please Him under the law, and you can't please Him under the law. And nobody can please God under the law. Mm-hmm. <coughs> you can be the best guy on the block, best woman on the block, You can do everything you want to do, (coughs) and you cannot please God by keeping the law. So let's look and see what Paul's going to say here. Let's go to Romans uh, chapter 2. We're going to start there in chapter 2, see how far we can get in this, and see how simple or how difficult we're going to make this. But Paul has been talking about uh, people, different kinds of people, and what God thinks about them. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, in the New Living Translation, he, we're going to talk here about God's judgment of sin. He says, You may be saying, <clears throat> Father, thank you for this word. And I ask you to bless this word tonight. As we read it, I ask your Holy Spirit to reveal to each one of us the truth of This book of Romans, where we're going to be reading in the few places we're going to read tonight, I ask you to give us a great and awesome revelation, and wisdom, and knowledge, and understanding of your mighty word. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. You may be saying, what terrible people you have been talking about. he have been talking about perverts and everything else. But you are just as bad. And we don't want to hear that either, do we? You know, I mean, Lord, Lord, give me a break. You know, that guy across the street don't live across the street. And I realize he don't go to church, and he is pretty bad. He's not too good to his wife, and all, maybe beats up on his kids and everything else. But you got to be careful how you talk about them. What terrible people you have been talking about, but you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. That's kind of scary, isn't it? You know, so I know none of us ever talk about nobody else, do we? Any y'all ever talk about? No, I won't even ask that question. (laughs) It's real easy to be sitting around the table at home, saying, you know, you know, old John or old Bob. You know, I mean, I mean, you see what he did yesterday in church too. You see how bad he is, you know? No, no, we never do that, do we? No, 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 no. Yeah, I mean, you know, just. <laughs> yeah, we do too. We do those kind of things. And we don't realize how many times we do those kind of things. But it says here all we know, and we know that God in His justice will punish anyone who has done such things. Who's going to punish him? No, God wouldn't punish you. I mean, He's a big, loving God up there in the heavens. He would never punish you, you sweet little thing, you. God in His justice will punish anyone who does such things. So if you go out there and start being one of these kind of people he's talking about up there, those perverts and all that other stuff, but not only just that, that's not just. he's just talking about people that go out and sin. <coughs> I mean, we don't like to hear it. I mean, a lot of people absolutely will quit coming to church if you preach this stuff. They don't want to hear it. I mean, I got an email today, four pages long, you know, about this guy Thurman Schirmer. He's a nut, you know, he's crazy. And he don't believe that. I mean, God. I mean, one of the emails I got, a bishop wrote it and said, you know, if you think I'm going to believe for a minute that God punishes us for things we do wrong, he said, you're crazy. I don't know which Bible he's reading. (laughs) But he ain't reading the same one I'm reading. You know, so all I say is right here, you know, right here, God clearly says he what he will do. And we know that God, in His justice, will punish anyone who does such things. Do you think that God will judge and condemn others for for doing them and not judge you? I mean, isn't that pretty clear? Do you really think that, well, old John over here, old Bob over here, you know, God... I mean, God, Bob, hes I know he goes to church once a while, but he's really wicked. Why don't you get him, God? You really need to sock him.
1: Thick him. <laughs> Do what? Thick him. Thick
0: him. yeah. Thick him, God. Get him. <laughs> but how about you, huh? Oh, no, Lord, no, I'm a good boy, Lord. I ain't never done nothing wrong. Oh, yeah? Let me tell you, if God judged every one of us for what we deserved, we we wouldn't be able to be here tonight. You know, we we all fall so short. He hey, that's right. He that's right. He wouldn't have anybody to love him. But aren't we glad He is merciful and kind and gentle? Because if He wasn't merciful and kind and give you many, many shots before He did judge you, you'd be in big trouble. I mean, if, if, well, Ty and me, we both know that if he had judged us just the fiftieth time we made a mistake, we wouldn't be here. But he gave us a lot more than that, didn't he? And he's still giving us lots, and we're so grateful. But uh, that's the thing that I guess I think that's another thing we miss. We think that if we make one little mistake, you know, and it may see that the, whenever something comes upon us, we might think that we did one little thing wrong we knew we did and we got chastised or something happened to us and you think, well, God's not fair. You know, I I got hit today. But that just reminds me of a guy driving down the road in his car. Every day you ride to work with this guy and he's got a radar detector and he's watching and he drives 70 or 80, but he's watching constantly and boy, if that radar beats, he's on that brake right now. And he makes it for two years and don't get a ticket. And then one day he comes around the corner and he's talking to some guy and he misses it. And the radar detector goes off and it's too late. He's already been, you know, checked him 80 miles an hour. Well, here comes the cop. Guess who complains the most? He does. I can't believe you're stopping me. Well, he should have been stopped every day. But he had grace every day for two years and didn't get stopped. But when he did, he doesn't realize he, has, it, he deserved to be stopped every day. Because, you know, he was speeding. He was breaking the law. That's kind of the way it is with you and me.
1: <coughs>
0: you know, we go along here and do things wrong for days and weeks and months and sometimes years. And then it comes upon us. You know, and uh, that's, that's, but we don't want it when it does come. But uh, it, it's, it's really something. Don't you realize how kind... No, this is I like this. <coughs> Don't you realize how kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Now, he is kind, gentle, tolerant, and patient with you and me, isn't he? I mean, he is beyond our wildest dreams, you know, about being patient and kind and tolerant. Because if he was not... We'd all be in big trouble. We'd be in big trouble. You know, I, I know you kind of go back to like when you raised your children. You know, they did something today and you didn't like it and you told them. Tomorrow they did it again. A week later they did it again. And after they did it about 20 or 30 times, you finally said, now look, I've had it. If you do that one more time, I'm going to ground you for a week. No more car. Ah, Dad don't mean what he said. So they put you to the test one more time. And you say, look, I told you, if you do this one more time, now I'm going to ground you. You're not going to be able to drive for a week. Oh, they grumble and fuss and complain. But, Dad, you're unfair. This is the only time I've ever done it. And they know they've done it 50 times. Is that the way we are? Sure. Sure. But if you think you're kind and gentle and tolerant with your children, God is much, much more kind and gentle and tolerant and patient with you than you are with your children. So, you got to remember, He is a caring, loving God. It says, <clears throat> Or don't you care? Can't you see how kind He has been in giving you time to turn from your sin? Can't you see how patient and kind God has been, you know, I think about the times that God speaks to us, and when people tell me I have never heard the audible voice of God, well, I can go back to that day, and I can go back to the time when I had never heard His voice, and I can go back to the time when I'd heard him speak to me in the spirit many times, but I didn't know I didn't know how to discern it. I mean, nobody had ever taught me how to hear from God. Now, let's stop right here just a second. And we're talking about how God talks to us. I think this is one of the most important things that we ever learn is to hear God talking to us. Now, number one, if you want to hear His voice, anybody can hear an audible voice from God tonight. All you've got to do is open your Bible and start reading it out loud. You know, that's a word from God for you. He'll talk to you. That is one of the ways He speaks to us out of His Word. He tells us what He likes. He tells us what He doesn't like. He tells us what He will do. He tells us what He will not do. It's all written right there in the Word of God. If you want to hear it audibly, just have somebody read it to you out loud. You can hear it. But He also speaks to us in our spirit. Now, there's three voices that comes to you. Number one, your voice. You have a voice in this matter. And you can have your own thought pattern. You can be driving along or riding or or you can be sitting here in this room right now. And right now you may be sitting in this room and you may not be hearing a word I'm saying. You may be thinking about what you've done today or what you're going to do when you get home today, this afternoon. You may not be hearing a word I'm saying. Have you ever been guilty of that? You look at me right in the face and you're not hearing a word I'm saying. My wife even told me today, she walked in and she made a statement. To I was concentrating on something. She walked in and made a statement and I turned to look at her and then she made the rest of the statement. And then a few minutes later, she said something about 15 or whatever it was. And I said, 15? I thought you said four, what it was. No, she said, I said eight the first time. And then she started adding the rest of them up. But see, I wasn't looking her straight in the face until the last part. I, w- I got that part. <clears throat> now, I know no. none of y'all ever have this trouble with your husband but my wife, you know when you look your husband in the face. Sometimes he don't even hear when you look at him right in the face. <laughs> That's what mine said too. So I know that. So we don't hear very well when we're concentrating on something else. You know, and and we can do that. I mean I've done it. You know, I mean I have I have come to teachings classes and I've sat down and I'm thinking what I'm sitting there. I'm thinking, I'm thinking about what I've had to do today or what I've got to do tomorrow or where i got to go when this is over. And you know, guess what? I'm so wound up in my concentration of whatever, somebody's sitting there looking at me right in the eye, talking to me. I don't hear a word they're saying. We do that, don't we? Yes, we do. We're very good at that, every one of us. But God, He'll speak to us, either yourself, yourself will communicate, with yourself, and that's just you. And then we got this other little critter that works on our mind called the devil and his demons. Now, he can put all kinds of thoughts in your mind. He can definitely, definitely mess you up in the course of the day. He's always right there with God. You know, he's always there to put thoughts in your mind. And if you don't know what the Word of God says, he will deceive you. That beast is so slick... And the way he does business, I mean, I'll just show you, uh, give you an example. You're on the way to church tonight, and you look down and you think, Wow, it's 20 minutes till 7. I've got 20 minutes to get there. I'm really going to have to hurry or I'm going to be late for Bible study. And you're driving along there, and all of a sudden, a thought comes to your mind. What if you think you're going to be late? Just speed up. You know, you're only driving 60, the speed limit 60, but it won't hurt to drive 70. You'll be on time. And so, now then, if you're not trained, you'll say, you know, I, I could drive 70. No big deal. But see, the voice that spoke to you knows right around the corner there's a police officer. See? And so the little voice that spoke to you was the enemy. Just speed up. And so you think, okay, so you run up to 70. And you go around the corner, and bam, there's a police officer, you don't have a radar, whoop, he comes after you, stops you. And 20 minutes later, when you could have been here, you're still sitting up there, him doing all your information. And you're going to be at 30 minutes late, the Bible study. now, plus you're going to pay a $200 fine. So, you listen to the wrong voice. Now, did God tell us to obey the laws of the land? If He did, when the voice came and said, just go ahead and feed up to 70, you would automatically have known where that thought come from. The enemy... And you say, oh, no, devil, no, no, buster, I ain't going there. I ain't going there. Or you may have plenty of time. I mean, you're, you've started an hour early, and you're driving along at 55. You know, you've got all the time in the world. And all of a sudden, a little voice, you drive down the road, and you see a road off to the right. And it says, you know, this is a guy driving down the road. And he says, you know, Bob, you heard he wasn't doing too well last week. Why don't you pull down that road and go by and visit him. You've got plenty of time before Bible study. Who do you think that voice might have accidentally been? You think that'd be God? Okay, but the very minute that thought comes, you think, well, I could run by and see Bob. But there's another little voice right behind you that says, but you know, if you do, you'll get up there and get to talking, and then you'll be late for Bible study. So you really ought to just go direct to Bible study. See, this is the way these voices talk to you. You've got to learn to discern which one's God, which one's the devil, and which one is your own voice. Because every human being has those three voices talking to them. Every one. And the enemy will always be there to steal, kill, and to destroy. Always. Anything he tells you, you know, it'll be bad. Let me ask you this question. Any of you ever had a very bad day? Something or everything you did went wrong that day, and you're on the way home from work that afternoon, and a little voice says, "Why don't you just pull over in front of that 18-wheeler and end it all?" You ever had a thought like that? Some of you have, haven't you? Sure. You know, the devil will put you to the do- oh, you know, life's not worth living anymore. You know, with all the problems you had today, just pull over. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean,
0: he does that to people. You know, people jump out of buildings and kill themselves. I mean, whenever we had the Depression in the 30s, men that were rich overnight had no money. And they jumped out of 10-story buildings and crashed to the floor and killed themselves. This is men. People that were wealthy the day before. Now then, they are lost their life. Who do you think was talking to them? The devils. You're all, you know, you've lost it all. Life's not worth living. Everybody will think you're a fool now. Just think of your position of power that you have. And now you're a nobody. Why don't you just step over there and end it all? It would be so much nicer just to end it all. You get to go home to be with Jesus. (laughs) How many people in life, how many young people today commit suicide? You know, that's one of the major things going on today. You know, some 16-year-old or whatever, they get ostracized extremely heavy by one of their girlfriends or a young girl. And and they say, you know, you're no good. You know, you don't ever do nothing right in school. And maybe she's trying working her little heart out. But the devil will listen. They'll slither up to her and say, you know, you ain't worth nothing. You ought to just end it all. You know, just take an overdose of this drug. And it'll all be over. See? See, this is what's going on. And since we're not trained to listen to these voices, we don't teach our children because we don't know how to hear these voices. You know, I was not trained. I didn't know this. It took me two-thirds of a lifetime to get a hold of this. And when I really begin to study God's Word, I begin to understand these voices that are talking to me. And I begin to learn how to discern those voices. So now then, anything that comes up to me to tell me to do something that doesn't line up with the Word of God, I know it's the devil or it's my own self. I know it's not God. And so that's when I learned to do what Corinthians 10 says, I capture every thought. And that thought, when it comes into me, if it doesn't bring glory and honor to God, doesn't line up with His commandments, I tell that thought to hit the road because I know behind that thought is a personality, a demonic spirit. And I have power over him as a child of God. I don't have to listen to them. But it took me a long time to realize who I was in Christ, a son of God, a joint heir with Christ. It took me a long time to get over the part where I used to pray, Oh, God, please go with me this week. Until one day I found in Matthew 28, he said, I promise never to leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I thought, Lord, I've been wasting my breath. Why do I need to pray and ask you to be with me? You promised to never leave me. You know, so how many people still pray those kind of prayers? Oh, God, go with us this week and watch over and protect us. He said, no problem. I've already promised that. That's, that's already a, a done deal. So, uh, but you don't know that until you get into the Word. When you get in the Word and you learn, it changes the way you do business. Then he says, Can't you see how kind he has been in giving you time to turn from your sin? Now, of course, God will speak to you and tell you when you sin. Every one of you, every one of us that ever thought about sinning, I mean, if you even thought about sinning, if you are a child of God, being led by the Spirit of God, there's something in you that says, don't do that. Don't do that. And how many women have I had that come to me and say, Thurman, I need you to pray for my marriage. How long have you been married? 20 years. Is your husband a Christian? No. Were you a Christian when you married him? Yes. Why did you marry him? because I loved him. I thought he was the best thing since sliced bread. Would he go to church with you? Well, once in a while. But I thought, okay, he won't go to church with me now, but when I marry him and become one with him, then he'll go to church with me when I ask him, wrong, wrong, wrong. If if he won't do it for you before you marry him, he sure ain't going to do it for you after he marries you. That's just the way life is, girls. That's the way men are. But how many of those women have told me? I said, you know, you knew that was wrong. Yeah, when he asked me to marry him, something in me says, no, no, don't do it. But I went ahead and did it anyway. Boy, have I paid for my problem. How many women do you know that have done that? But here's what gets me. How many women have done that two and three times? That's what gets me. You know, how many of them have had one and then divorced him and then find another one just like him? And that same boy says, no, he's not the one. Wait on me. I'll get you the right one. Oh, God, that's okay. I've got to have one. So I'll go out and find him on my own. And they don't never find one they can live with. Not until God sends you the one. You know, when God sends you the one, then, you know, you can have a better life. But anyway, when it were you, he, he's very patient, very kind, and very gentle, and he's speaking to you in many different ways, and he's t- trying to tell you to get rid of your sin because God knows that sin brings forth death, and he does not want you to die. He wants you to live a long, healthy life. That's what God wants for you, you know. He does not want to paddle you, you know. He does not want you to die early. He does not want the devil to have a legal right to kill you. He wants you to be blessed in life because you're his children. Now, you want your children to have good things, do you not? Sure. But if And if they're good little critters, you know, if they do good for you, what will you bless them with? Anything you're capable of, right? Anything you're capable of. But if they're mean and they won't do what you ask them then sure, you know, you promise them when they get to be uh, 18, you know, if everything's going okay, you'll buy them a little, uh, maybe a three, four, five thousand dollar car, so they'll have something to get around in until they get them a job and get going. And so they've been meaner than the devil himself. When they get 18, they come and say, Hey, Dad, I want a new Lexus. I don't want just a five thousand dollar. I want a new Lexus. What do you think the chances of Dad getting him a Lexus? Zero. I mean, even if Dad had the money, he ain't going to buy him a Lexus if he's been a little hellion, right? Now, if he's been a good boy and you got the money, you might accidentally buy him that car. Might. You know. But if he's been a bad boy, it ain't going to happen. Just like God hears He talks to us time and time again, through the Word, through people, through preachers, all kinds of ways. In fact, how many times have you been to church and said, oh, I love when you walked out the door... I said, what's wrong with you? He said, man, that preacher walks all over my feet today. <laughs> and y'all ever heard anybody say that? You ever done it to you? Like he did me? You know. I remember the day that the guy walked all over my feet when he when I had never met a tither. I mean, you know, I had never heard about tithing. And I walked in church that day and I put my dollar bill in the place. You know, I made forty dollars that week, but I only put a dollar in of an offering plate. And so that day, whenever the preacher preached, he said, you know, God says right here, we're supposed to give a tent. And he said, if we don't, we're thieves. And he said, you know, there's some people come in this church, and when the offering place passed, they put a dollar bill in that offering place. And I looked up, and that finger was pointing right straight at me. I slithered under the seat. I thought, God, he saw me. No, he didn't see me, but God did. And that's why that finger was pointing straight at me. And so when I went home, I said, I said you know, I, I don't know how in the world. I said, I read those Scriptures. I don't know how in the world. I said, we can't make it now given a dollar a week. I don't know how we'd make it if I could give four dollars a week. But I said, God said, do it. He said, put him to the test. I said, I'm, we're going to start doing that. I don't know how we're going to make it, but we're going to do it. I started giving four dollars a week, and I ain't never been the same since that day. I ain't never had another time. I ain't never been short of money. I've had my needs met from that day to this. It's just amazing, It's amazing, how God will bless your socks off if you're just obedient to do what He says. And in fact, you know, that's the only place in the Bible God said, put me to the test. Try me. In another place in there where He says you can put Him to the test. But in your finances, He said, you put me to the test and try me and see if you don't give, if I won't open the windows of heaven for a blessing you can't contain. That's just like I was telling a couple of while ago. I said just five years ago, I was get making a handful of tapes, giving them out by the week, maybe a handful, five or six, a week. Who would have ever dreamed that in five years, I would be making 10000 a week, sending them out, paying the postage on them, and God paying all the bills? That's kind of beyond my wildest dreams. In fact, Phil, <coughs> I, I, I mean, I told Chris here a while back, don't give Philip your checkbook. You know, because I gave him mine in the area of uh, taking care of the media department, and he spends anywhere from two to $4,000 a week, you know, on media. I get the bills in there sometimes. He said, well, is that okay? I said, Phil, whatever you got to have to keep everything. You just order it. I'll take care of it. <laughs> so he does. If he needs 7,000 CDs and 3,000 DVDs, he orders them. He don't even ask the price. He just orders because he knows God's got a big checkbook and he can pay for the bills. And And he does you know it's amazing, you know, uh, so, but hey, who would have ever dreamed that you could give away that kind of stuff and God pay the bills? But he does, but in the, some of the stuff we're sending out, God is talking to some of these people trying to tell them where they're sinning. In fact, when He says, "God is giving you time to turn from your sin, there was a lady who called me the other day. And she said, you have got to stop teaching what you're teaching. I said, why? She said, you have ruined a woman's life in our church. I said, well, how did I ruin it? She said, this woman, she had a baby out of wedlock a few years ago. The child was born mentally retarded. Now, she works in the church now. She's gotten saved. She's totally turned her life around. And when she heard your teaching, she realized her child is born handicapped because of her sin. Said, "You have ruined her life." I said, "Ma'am, all I got to say, is she should have heard my teaching before she went to bed with that boy, and then she wouldn't have had that child out of wedlock, and then she wouldn't have to be concerned." I said, "If somebody don't teach the Word of God about sin, nobody's going to know, and that's why we got. That's why I can drive. It doesn't matter where I go. I can go out toward Grapevine." I can grow out to Plano, where I did yesterday. Yesterday, I went over to Walnut Hill. I went all through Presbyterian. And as I drove down, everywhere I went, every hospital is expanding. And every one of them full and running over. Blocks are covered with hospitals. With sick people. But yet, Jesus is a healer. He bore our sickness, bore our sin, and removed our disease. It's obvious. The church don't even believe Him. I didn't either for a lot of years. I didn't know it. I didn't know these things. So, but look what the Lord says here in the next verse. After he says he gives you all this kind of time to turn from your sin, but he says, but no, you won't listen. That's pretty clear, isn't it? But no, you won't listen. So you're storing up terrible punishment for yourself because of your stubbornness. This is just pretty straightforward in the N L T. It's pretty hard to mess this up. And your stubbornness in refusing to turn from your sin. What does God want you to turn from? Sin. Now then hey, the good part is, wow, when you turn from that sin, you don't get no spankings no more. God don't come along and spank you just to be spanking you. He's long suffering. He's patient, gentle, and kind, and He wants you to have no thinkings. He wants you to be blessed. So, people just don't understand. You know, just don't understand what causes these things. For there is going to come a day of judgment when God, the just judge of all the world, will judge all people according to what they have done. who's he going to judge? All of us. He will give eternal life to those who persist in doing what is good. Oh, that, that must be those that go to church on Sunday when the weather is nice. You reckon that is? I don't think that's what he's talking about, do you? Persistence. You know what it means to be persistent in serving God? Be about his business. Walk holy in his presence. You know, he is the king. He's a God of righteousness. And I, I think about this, and I think about what a gentleman, I don't think he even realized what he said. But I was sitting in a car the other day with a man talking to him. And as we were talking, he was talking about people that were living in sin. And he said, what about you, Thurman? Did you live in much sin? Did you, have, did you ever smoke, drank, cuss, or all those things? I said, no. I never did do those things. I said, I never got off on that. I never smoked. I never drank. I never cussed. I I never went out with wild women. I I just didn't do those things. So I said, I was just a pretty good kid. And he said, you know, your goodness is probably a filthy rags in his presence. Boy, I didn't say that. I thought that had to be straight from God. (laughs) That's what he thought about my goodness. You know that? But I'd rather be there. And the ones on drugs and sleeping around with somebody every night. You know, At least I'd, I've had a pretty decent, healthy life. I I haven't had any sickness and disease, hardly to speak of, and uh, in, in, in just, oh, wow. I think about, I'll I tell you, I don't know, but Betty and I were married 41 and a half years. And to be married to a woman 41 and a half years, and she'd never spend a day in a hospital... It's something unique, I think. She was never in a doctor's office or never spent a night in a hospital in 41 and a half years. Not one. And when she died, she was perfectly, totally healthy. There was not a thing wrong with her. I mean, Isn't that amazing? No surgeries. No back problems. You know, no nothing. Healthy woman. Isn't that amazing? And, of course, I had only spent one night uh, in a hospital myself, and I didn't have to. The night I spent there, I had went in for a physical. My company required a physical, and they done a EKG on me while I was in there for the physical. And the doctor said, "Have you ever had a heart attack?" I said, "Oh no, no heart attack for me." He said, "Well, something wrong with your heart." I said, "How do you?" Determine that. He said, because one of these things here is doing some wild things on your EKG. Okay. I said, I'm going to take you up and do a stress test on you. I said, what's that? He said, you get on a little machine and you run for about nine minutes. I said, okay. So I got her and hooked all this stuff up to me and all these little probes all over. And he said, start walking. And I did. Then he started to speed up a little. And I walked out on two or three minutes. And I hadn't even got up to a trot yet. He said, that's good. Stop. I said, I thought you said it took nine minutes. He said, but this one is going so crazy, I'm afraid to go any further. He said, I'm going to send you to Irving right now to a heart specialist. I said, look, ain't nothing wrong with me. I've just been baling hay. I just come back in the valley and I hauled several thousand bales of hay in a hundred degree temperature last Friday and Saturday. I said, there ain't nothing wrong with me. But he didn't believe that. He's going by the machine. The devil's trying to get me to believe everything except the Word of God. Shut me down there, and that guy checked me, and he said, "Well, I don't know what's wrong with you, but something." And so he said, "The only way we can find out is do an angiogram on you." I said, "What's that?" He said, "That's where we cut a hole in your leg and pump dye into your heart, or art." And I didn't have the faith then that I have today. I would have said, "Forget it." But he insisted, and I didn't have the faith I have today, or the knowledge of the words of God either. So I went down there, and they cut that hole in my leg and pumped that thing in there, and I sat up there and watched them snake that thing all through my body. I literally watched that thing come in from my leg up into me in different places. I could see it on a television screen. I watched them shoot to die the first time, and when he said, you're going to feel this all over your body, the minute that black dye hit my body, I felt it in my fingertips, I felt it in my toes. I felt it all over my body in one heartbeat. I mean, it's awesome to think how God made this magnificent thing that we live in. But I watched them do all those tests in every valve of my heart. When I got through, I looked up there and I said, Well, Doc, I don't know anything about a heart, but I certainly understand hydraulic systems. And I said, That one looks like it's in perfect shape to me. (laughs) He said, You have as strong a heart and as clear of arteries as any 17-year-old boy I ever checked in my life. I said, so what's wrong with me? He said, I don't know. So they sent me back to the room. (laughs) The next day, somehow, they figured out that I have now time. He'll know a whole lot more about this than I do. But he explained to me a name of something that goes from your brain to your heart. And he told me there was three of them. He said, they're like wires that come from your brain to your heart. And your brain tells your heart when to beat. Well, I, I don't know, know this. I don't know if he's telling me the truth or why. <clears throat> he says, and any one of those going there will get it to, to work. But he said, one of those in your heart is obviously broken off. I said, so what if I would only had one? He said, when it broke off, it would have been over. You'd have been dead. So he said, you still have two. I said, okay. Well, that took one night in the hospital for them to find that out. So, I've never had to spend another night in the hospital. And that one was uncalled for if I'd have had faith. I didn't have faith back in those days. But I have a little more now than I did then. But still, I had to go through that because of my lack of knowledge of the Word of God. So anyway, he said, he will give eternal life to those who persist in doing what is good, <coughs> seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. What do you have to do for that immortality? Seek after it. How do you seek after it? You spend time with king. You, you get in His Word. You read it. You study it. You pray. But He will... <coughs> pour out His anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and practice evil deeds. Now, let me tell you something. Do you think God watches you all the time? Do you think God knows every thought in your heart? When I began to get a hold of this, I was a young man, and... I don't know very many young men that when a beautiful young woman walks in, they don't look at her. Usually, they don't just look at her, they look at her from top to bottom. When I learned in the book of Proverbs, it says, to those that have an evil eye. That means when you look at a woman, you don't look at her in her face to look at her beauty. You look at her from top to bottom to think about different things, which you're not supposed to think about. When I learned God knows that, you don't even have to voice that. Every man that looks at a woman, and it's very difficult to not look at a pretty woman. But I've learned you can control that. And if you want God to do great and wonderful things for you, you have to learn to master that eye. When a pretty woman walks in, you look at her right in the eyes. You don't have a single thought about being Around her or close to her. If you ever want God to do anything good for you, He knows the intent of your heart. You know that? A lot of men never learn that principle. and never see it. A guy walked into my office one day. Business. This had been several years ago when I was in the engineering business. And we sat there and talked a little while. And I got to talk to him about Jesus, my favorite subject. And as we talked a little while, we're sitting there talking, and he began to share with me he had a son that's eat up with lust. He said he just can't keep his hands off the pretty girls. I don't know what I'm going to do with this boy. We're sitting there, all of a sudden, one of our secretaries was a pretty nice looking woman. She walked by my window. And he's looking at me, and we, oh, man, he stops talking to me, and he watches her go all the way till so she's out of sight. And then he comes back and starts talking to me. And he's talking, and the boy catches She's going back, and he stops, and he, t- and he looks at it. And then he's looking up and down. And then he turned around and back to me. But he does done it the second time. I look at him right now and I said, I'm going to tell you what your problem is with your son. It's you. It's you. I said, you're looking at that pretty girl out there. He said, well, Sermon, she was a beautiful woman. I said, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. I'll agree she's a beautiful woman. But I said, you have not learned to control that wandering evil eye that you have. Your son sees that evil wandering eye, and God is letting that come right on over on your son. And your son is just like daddy. I said, now a lot of men never understand why their sons are like they are. But they are like they are because of daddy and his problems. I said, now you need to stop looking at those women. You need to ask God to forgive you for that whenever you see a pretty woman, don't desire to be around her. Don't get close to her. If you can't control your thought, then stay totally away from her. If you're able to control your thought, it's no problem walking up to a woman. And guys, if y'all don't know it, most women are able to discern immediately what your intentions are when you walk up to them. you agree with that? If a man walks up to you, and he's going to talk to you, you know in a heartbeat whether you can be comfortable with this man or whether you've got to watch him like a rattlesnake. You know that, don't you, Gina? You can tell that. See? If you walk up to the guy, and you walk up, and he's going to talk to you a second, and he puts his hand on his shoulder and kind of moves it down a little bit, and then you see him looking down your blouse. Then you see him looking down, and then back up. And when you're talking, you're looking. he's looking down your dress. I mean, what's wrong with guys? Are they stupid? Yes, they must be. I mean, that woman will be... She ain't going to want to be close to you. She knows you ain't got good intentions for her. She knows you're interested in lusting. And God knows you've got an evil eye. And until you get rid of that evil eye, God is not going to answer your prayer. He's not going to communicate with you. You've got to learn to get over that. But the Proverbs talks about the man with the evil eye. Isn't that amazing?
1: a 2 street. Yeah, These women come in and they get, you know, they cut down the
0: Okay. Well, now I will have to say, I, okay, I will agree. I will agree that women should dress decently. I will have to say, you know, that, in fact, I, I heard a preacher there one time on television... I would have never dreamed this preacher would have done this, but he had a big church, and there was a lot of beautiful women sitting out there in the front, and all of a sudden he just stopped. He said, you know what? I'm having a hard time preaching. He said, there's so many of you women sitting up here on the front that's got shirts, skirts on that are so short, I can see too far up your dress. He said, Monday, next Sunday when you all come to church, wear something that goes down below your knees. I go, wow. Wow. You thought that had to be from God, right? Yeah, yeah. Wow, I thought, man, he did that on television. But that's the way we should do it. You're right. You know, you're absolutely right. You know, I mean, when when you go into a place and a woman has a dress on that's split to here, you know, or a mini skirt on that's right here. In fact, the other day I was at the airport. This is the most awesome thing I've ever seen. I saw a girl, young girl, couldn't have been 20, 22 years old, carrying a pillow. A pillow. I never saw a girl carry a pillow. But she had a mini shirt on, was was standing straight up. You could almost, and I'm sitting down in a chair. When I looked up, you could almost see the bottom of her panties. That's how short it was. She walked right in front of me and sat in a chair directly across from me and laid the pillow in her lap. I looked at her a minute and I said, young lady, I'll tell you how you don't have to carry that pillow with you. She said, what do you mean, sir? I said, if you're hiding something with that pillow, which I think you must be, I said, the thing for you to do is to wear a skirt that goes down below your knees and you won't have to worry about carrying a pillow to hide your body. Ooh, she didn't know how to take me. (laughs) but see that's the way I feel and that's I mean I'm just like Ty said I'm a human being you know and it's very difficult if a woman especially a good looking one sits down in front of you and leans over and everything but the nipples fall out you know it's kind of hard to not look you all know where I'm coming from you know so women dress appropriately you know you know, and then it won't be near as hard for the men to watch what they're looking at. You know. But I'm telling you. Why do you think the devil does this to ever on both sides? Why do you think the devil moves on a woman to dress like that so that it'll cause the men I mean that thought I mean that devil I mean you can you can have a, a beautiful woman come in that's scantly dressed like that? and she'll lean over something like Ty said, and the devil will say, look at that, look at that. I mean, he'll do that to you. Oh, yes, he will. And then you'll, I know, I'm not supposed to look. He said, but just one more look. It won't work. Just one more look. (laughs) Y'all all know where I'm coming from here. That's why God told us in His Word that the women are to dress to cover themselves. You know, they're not to dress to expose their body. They're to dress accordingly. And of course, men too. Men are to dress accordingly. But we, we have to learn to be very careful with this eye. Now, sometimes you'll take a beautiful woman and she's dressed in fully covered. But still, you'll catch men looking at them. Looking at them all over. You know, I mean, they're, they're covered. They got long dresses on or whatever. But they're looking. Now, you want God to answer your prayer? Do you want him to answer your prayer? Yeah. Then you need to be careful where you look. If a woman, if she's your wife, it's okay to look at her. But if she's not your wife, then don't look at her. I mean, don't don't dwell on her body parts if she's not your wife. That way you can stay out of a lot of trouble with God. I mean, you can look at this girl anywhere you want to. Anything she's got, it's already yours. Hey. <laughs> But that's the privilege God gave us once we got married. You know, I mean, that we are. God tells God tells Ty that Cheryl's body's not her own any longer; it's his. And he says, "His body's not his any longer; it's hers." That's what the Scripture says. You know, so God understands. You know, and He knows how we are. He knows how He made us. You know, what He even tells us when we're fasting and praying. He says, "When you fast and pray, you're to abstain from sexual encounters with your mate." While you 're fasting, but he said don't do it too long. He said, and then, as soon as you stop fasting, come back together so that Satan will not be able to tempt you in this area it 's amazing how it works, but there's so many things that we have to learn about god 's Word to walk within o- obedience to be able to walk in faith, because if we don 't have this faith that we need, we can 't get nothing from God. You have to have faith. And if you don't walk in a God kind of love, last Sunday we talked entirely on love. Now, I did have a few people that told me after the service was over, I liked your message on love till you got to a certain point and then I had to turn you off because I thought if I have to, I can't, do, I can't do that. And then they later said, I was just kidding. That's where I was hit the hardest right there. But you know when God tells us to do something, if we don't want to do it, we don't want to hear it, do we? You mean if I walk in love, that means I gotta. when my wife asks me to do something, i got to do it for her? Yeah. Oh, forget that. I ain't going there. <laughs> you see where I'm coming from? So we don't want to hear God's Word, do we? Well, if we come under conviction of His Word. We don't want to do it. But... Drink, oh. <laughs> you, my Cheryl. I'm sorry. I can assure you. Well, I, as I, as I said, that message is no doubt, since God changed my heart, standing right here, the precept is no doubt that message was for me. and I know it was for a few of the rest of you in here too, but it was definitely for me. You know, I love, I mean, God wants me to walk in faith, and He knows I cannot walk in faith any greater than my love walk is. You know, so wherever my love walk is, that's where my faith walk is going to be. If I'm not walking in obedience, uh, in fact, I got tickled. Uh, Cheryl and I both got extremely tickled last night. We were laying there in bed. Uh, both of us have had a little encounter with the enemy the last few days. And uh voices were hoarse and everything else. And uh, we were laying there laughing and, and praising the Lord and thanking Him. Lord, if we've got anything that's unconfessed, Lord, we repent. We promise to love each other and be good to each other. You know, we promise God to do anything you tell us to do. Lord, this is awesome to think that here's a couple that's got a healing ministry and we both got horse throats. That, that's not exactly what we want. This is the first time this has been on me in 20 years. Over 20 years. Maybe 25. But <clears throat> so there's got to be something wrong there, see. And I don't know what it is. But I, I, well, yeah, I do know what it is too. We both know what it is. We're both working on getting rid of all of our problems. But the Lord waited till both of us had a deal built up there so we could hit it both at the same time so the other one couldn't say, you know, if you would get your act straightened up <laughs> you could be like me. You wouldn't have to be hoarse if you get your act straightened up. Oh. <laughs> See he does he he knows exactly what he's doing. See, she can't say a thing to me and I can't say a thing to her for both of us sound about the same. You know. <laughs> In fact, she told me, I think it's last night, she said, if you're lucky within a... a I said, you might as well just let me kiss you. She said, nope, I ain't going to let you kiss me because I don't want to mix mine and your germs. I said, well, okay. She said, if you're lucky in about a week or two, maybe I'll let you kiss me again. <laughs> so that means i got to be in really good shape, right? Oh, my goodness gracious. That'll teach me how to pray. I guarantee you, that'll teach me how to pray. Okay, then it says here, there will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on sinning. Trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on sinning. For the Jew first, and also for the Gentile. That pretty well covers all of us, doesn't it? But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good. Now see, it's good parts of this and bad parts of this, isn't it? So if we do good, what is waiting for us? Hey, that's where we want to walk. We don't want to keep on sinning, do we? We want to walk holy in obedience to his word. And he says, But there will be glory and honor and peace from God. Who's it come from? From the King. For all who do good. So I love that, don't you, Joseph? Absolutely. Absolutely, I love it. For the Jew first and also for the Gentile. So it covers us all. It says, for God does not show favoritism. Now, aren't you glad? He doesn't have any favorites. If he was, I know my wife would have to be one of his favorites, and so I'd always be the one to get hit, and she never would be. But I'm certainly glad he shows no favoritism. So when one of us got hit, both of us got hit. uh, We probably both deserved it way beyond (laughs) God will punish the Gentiles when they say or when they sin, even though they never had God's written law. See that the the law who was the law given to? The Jew. The God the Jew was under the law. Said, and he will punish the Jews when they sin, for they do have the law. Now they know what the law is. But it does make any difference. He's going to punish us too if we don't obey the law. For it is not Merely knowing the law that brings God's approval, those who obey the law will be declared right in God's sight. So, you know, if we obey the law. It says, then when Gentiles who do not have God's written law instinctively follow what the law says, they show that in their hearts they know right from wrong. Now then, if you're a born-again Christian, where did he promise to write that law? In your hearts and in your minds. So you just know. And of course, if you're led by the Spirit, you go out and start to do something wrong. If you're the guy, you know, that looks at the girls in the wrong place, every time you go to look at one, there'll be something in there. Say, don't do that. Don't don't look at her there. Look at her, in her eyes. You know, stop doing that. Or if you start to tell a little lie, somebody comes in and says, in fact, I got so tickled at Sharon today. She said somebody called in and wanted me to pray for them about something. And she said, no problem. I know, Thurman, we'll pray for them. And then she thought, uh-oh, I'm lying. He might not. If I don't give him this and get it to him. So she came out and immediately told me what she said. said, I just told these people that you would pray. I said, well, let's pray right now. So me and her and Kathy, we stood right there in the hallway and I went to the throne of grace for this person to make sure the devil couldn't accuse her of being a liar. You know, we did what she said. She said, I know, Pastor, we'll pray for you. And then she thought, when she hung up, she thought, oh my gosh, I don't know if he's going through or not. I might have just lied to that person. Did she lie on purpose? No. But if she had forgot to give that to me, then it would have turned out to be a lie. And she didn't want nothing to her credit that's wrong. So, she wanted to come out right then. Let's get this corrected. So, that's what we did. They show in their hearts that they know right from wrong. They demonstrate that God's law is written within them for their own conscience. Either accuses them or tells them they are doing what is right. Now, your conscience is your spirit. That's the thing. Your conscience... How many times have you heard a woman say, you know, my woman's intuition just told me I shouldn't have married that guy. That wasn't your woman's intuition. That was the Spirit of God living in you that told you not to do it. But you call it conscious. And they even call it conscious right here. So your conscious or your spirit communicates with the Holy Spirit. Spirit communicates with your spirit and your spirit communicates with your mind. And when it communicates with your mind, it puts thoughts in your mind. And when those thoughts come, learn to discern those thoughts. And if those thoughts line up with God's Word, obey them. If they don't line up with God's Word, kick them out, throw them away because they're from the devil. But he says, the day will come, the day will surely come when God, by Jesus Christ, will judge everyone's secret life. This is my message. Your secret life. Have you got a secret life? You don't want to be like the deacon. That I heard a story the other day. They said this was a true story. There was a man had a workshop. And he was a deacon in a church. Great man of God. I mean, his wife loved him, trusted him. And he was the best man. Children, everything appeared to be perfect in this man's life. But the guy finally died. He died early. And... After he died, well, the woman, of course, you know, she had this workshop. He had a workshop out there. And she was going to sell the place. She didn't need it anymore. So a guy came out to measure it, to get it some dimensions. And when he came back in the house, he said, Ma'am, do you know where the door is into the cavity in the back of the garage? She said, The door? She said, My husband doesn't have a cavity. In the back of the garage, I've never been in it. She said, "Well, this four foot of extra room, the full width of the shop, than what it measures on the inside, and I can't find a doorway to get in it." So she went out there, and he showed her. Said, "Look, the tape measure goes here, and there's four feet of space in this that there's no access, no door, no windows, no nothing." Well, she said, "I have no idea." So. The guy started looking, started crawling up in the attic everywhere, and he crawled, he found a trap door on the top of the attic that went into a room. And he pulled that cover out and went into that room, which was pitch black. And he took a flashlight, went in there, and there was a light in there, and it was his secret hideout with all of his pornography all over the walls. The man had a secret life. His wife never knew it. Wow, this is what God's talking about right here. Can you do anything that's secret in His presence? No. Nothing. If you want to know why a man like that doesn't get his prayers answered? Sitting home, washing a computer, nobody knows it. In fact, a gentleman that just passed away a couple of years ago, a good friend of mine, he was heavily involved with men that were under pornography. And the last time I had a meeting with him, it has been four or five years ago. He's been dead a couple of years now. He told me, he says, I mean, the best we can tell, since church computers, all computers record everywhere everywhere you go. We can go in and tell you everywhere you've been. He said, it appears that about 42% of all the pastors in all the churches in America are regularly hitting porno websites from their offices. They don't do it at home. They do it at church. When they're in their office... With the door locked, do you think God knows what you're doing? That's a secret life. That if you don't correct those things, and that's a, again, that's a lot of the time. That's the reason why we don't never get a prayer answered when we pray for somebody. Yes, sir. Well, uh, this has been about six or seven years ago that I read this report. I can't remember where I read it from now, but there was a big ministerial conference out in California about six or seven years ago. A lot of ministers from several different denominations that attended this. Uh, I think it's supposed to be something around a thousand people. But someone had run a survey on them in the motels and hotels that they uh, or the, where they were supposed to be staying, and found that somewhere around about 75% of them watched a, a pornographic movie on the paper. Pay for movies uh, while they were there during that uh, week-long uh, conference. that's sad. That uh, tells us, gives us an idea of where a lot of the church is today. Yeah. Well, we need to get rid of that. You know, we need to get rid of that. And the thing about it is, God will judge even our secret lives. He knows everything we do. If it's any, You can hide a lot of things from your spouse, but you can't hide nothing from God. I mean, He's with you. He knows everything you do, everything you say. He even knows the thoughts and intents of your heart even before you speak it. And that's what's so devastating to think that as when we read the Scriptures, Jesus would perceive what their thoughts were. See, I can't do that. I don't know what you're thinking right now. But Jesus did. He knew. And right now, He knows what we're thinking. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows where my heart is. He knows where yours is. So he said, I will judge even the secret things, everyone's secret life, I will judge. Wow. I want to make sure all my sins are repented of. I'm confessed of and I'm walking holy before him. I want to make sure I'm walking as close to total perfect obedience to his word as I can. Then we talk a little bit more here about this Jew and the law. It says, if you are a Jew, which I don't guess many of you in here are, but some of you may be, if you are a Jew, you are relying on God's law for special relationship with Him. You boast that all is well between yourself and God. Yes, you know what He wants. You know right from wrong because you have been taught the law. You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a beacon light for people who are lost in darkness without God. Then he says, you think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God. For you are certain that in God's law you have complete knowledge and truth. Now, I don't know very much about the Jewish law. I've read what I've read, but there's a whole lot of it I don't know. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? Ooh. Susan, that's not what I wanted to hear you say. If I can teach others, you know, in fact, God spoke to me one time. I had been teaching on some stuff, and I was doing something that obviously, uh, wasn't according to my teaching. And I was teaching, and I thought to myself, and I was just sitting there, just me and God. I didn't even realize He's listening. But I just kind of gently, I said, God, if I could just get these people to believe Your Word. He said, you know, you don't believe it yourself. I said, God, I do. See, I thought in my heart, I did. And He told me, no, if you did, you would have done this instead of doing this. And I thought as he said that, I thought, oh, God, you're right. Lord, if I really believe what I taught in this book, then I would, there, was some, there would be some other things I would change in my life. But see, over the years, he's taught me a lot of things, you know, as I've gone along. I've seen him tell me these things. And, 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 and you know when you start judging someone else, you know, if she only believed the Word, Lord, if that woman only believed what I could do or do, he said, well, you don't believe it either. You don't believe your own preaching. Boy, that's something for God to tell you. You don't believe your own preaching? Isn't that amazing how you can teach something and don't believe it and won't act on it yourself? How sad that is. What? Wow. Well, then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others to not steal. But do you see it? I mean, we don't realize what that means when it says don't steal. It's like the guy out there at work. One time I went to work, uh, when they moved me off to Sky Chef, I had about 35 men working for me and I began to teach them these principles. And some of these men were in church and some of them wasn't. And I told them, I said, you know, the company provides a cafeteria for you upstairs, everything in it's free. You go up there and drink, eat, but I said, when you walk by and take something off the rack, that belongs to the customer, and they paid for it, you're stealing. I said, if you go by and dra- grab your can of Coke and take it back to the maintenance area, and you drink it, you stole it from the airline. That didn't belong to us. We sold it to them. Now, you stole it from them. Herman! I said, no, no, this, this, I'm telling you, this is stealing. So they really thought I had lost my mind. <clears throat> thought I'd gone too far out. And then one day, one of the men that worked there for 20 years, he needed a little brass nipple, cost about $2, for his boat. He had an outboard, inboard boat. And he walked by the parts bin and picked up this little nipple, little quarter inch nipple, about two inches long, about two bucks, what you cost them back in those days. He picked it up, but in his pocket. He needed it for his boat this weekend. I mean, you know, no big deal, we got a whole bin full of them, you know? The company owes it to him, he's been working there 20 years, right? That's his. That's the way he thinks. He walks out the door, and after I've been teaching him these principles, all of them, and they were not to seal, he didn't have any kind of re- feeling or anything when he put it in his pocket. He went up and had something to eat. He messed around, getting ready to go home. He punched out, and he walked out the door. And when he cleared the premises, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit said, you just stole that part in your pocket. He's thinking, where is that thought coming from? It's nothing behind me. You know, he's always talking about us stealing stuff. He said, that's crazy. I mean, they owe it to me. I've been here 20 years. So he goes home, and all evening that thought, you stole that. You stole that. Next morning he goes out and he puts it on his boat and stalls it. And before he cranks it up, the feeling of conviction is so strong, he stops. He takes it off. Goes down to the parts house, gets a new one, comes back, puts it on, puts the one that on, belongs to us back in his pocket, and then he goes boating, and Monday morning he walks back in, goes back and puts it in the bin, and then about an hour or two later, he'd come in about 3, 30, 4 o'clock. It was an early shift. When I got there about 7, he walked into my office. As soon as I walked in, he said, Mr. Scrivener, I hate this.
1: <laughs>
0: I have not a clue. I said, hate what? He said, this stuff you're talking to us about being thieves. <clears throat> I said, well, what I've been telling you is what the Word says. He said, I know it. And that's what bugs me.
1: <laughs> I said,
0: so well, what happened? And he told me. I said, so, and you brought it back this morning and put it in the bin? I said, Yeah. So as soon as you played it up, the conviction went away, didn't it? He said, yes. He said, I really do like this. He said, you know, I really, in my flesh, I hate it. He said, "There's no telling how many little things like that I've stole from the company in my life of 20 years with this company." He said, "I can't do that no more. Can't do that no more." What was God trying to get his attention? Right? Did God want to judge him? No, He didn't want to judge him. But if he had been disobedient, not listened to the voice, and he went ahead and used that, guess what might have happened? He puts that little two dollar piece on his boat, goes ripping across the lake, and runs into a stump, and pairs a hole through it, and maybe runs a two ten thousand dollar boat, or whatever, and then he's think, well, if this ain't something, and he would never put the two together, you know what? Never. Never thinking that he opened the door to the devil because he is stealing, and it cost him tremendously. See? But the Lord tells us there, Not to steal. You say it is wrong to commit adultery. But do you do it? He said, you condemn adultery, but do you steal from pagan temples? You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the Scripture says the world blasphemes the name of God because of you. How many... Places, if you've ever been, you walk up to somebody and say, Sir, let me tell you about Jesus. Are you a Christian? Oh, yeah. Forget it. I used to go to church. Them bunch of hypocrites down there, they're the worst bunch i ever seen. You see this woman over here, that guy back there? They go to church, too. And they're the biggest hypocrites i ever seen. You can't trust nothing that woman said. You can't trust nothing that guy says. You ever heard people talk like that? And you know what? They're right. They're right. Because we've not been taught these principles of holiness. I mean, we ought to be the best workers in the workplace. When somebody says, look at that guy right there. You see see anything strange about that guy? No, he looks like a normal man to me. That's the best worker we got. I mean, that guy, I've known that guy. He's worked here for 10 years. He is the most dedicated man. He's never late. He makes sure he goes home after quitting time. He never uh, be, uh, never uh, goes over the time on a coffee break. I mean, this guy works, and the work he does, you never have to do it over. And I one day, I, after five years, I couldn't stand it. I went up and I said, why do you work so hard? He said, because I'm a Christian, and I'm working as unto the Lord and not unto man, because he's going to give me my final reward someday. So I want to please the king. And the guy said, I need to know this Jesus. You tell me about him? See, that's when you open that door, isn't it? Amen. And that's the one you want to be able to talk to them because they've seen your life and how you've exemplified Christ in everything you've done. See, that's where we need to all be walking, right? As Christians. So if we all walk like that and learn who we are in Christ and walk in obedience to God's Word, hey, I mean, people would be drawn to us. Just like I told y'all Sunday, I am completely convinced that if we could walk in that love walk with God, I mean, if if our love walk with God was anywhere close to where He says it's supposed to be, people would just be drawn to us. Somebody say, you know, I just can I just touch you? I'm serious. And, and you know, they say, what what is it about me? They said the the, the the love of God. I, I see, I see, I see love all over your face. I don't know what you must have, but I just want to... Can I just touch you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. But see, there's something special, the anointing of God that's on that person's life because of their walk with the King. And when you see somebody that's bubbling over all the time, never grumbling, never complaining, just on fire, smiling, they walk in and... It doesn't matter how bad the problems are today. They're smiling, and somebody says, You know, this is the worst day I ever had. I ain't never seen a bad day this bad. Oh, say, My goodness, I've seen days like this. Days and days and days like Then get worse. Come on, praise God. Let's get back in there and let's do something good for Jesus. You know, don't let the devil get you down. <laughs> in fact, I guess my dad was 35 years my senior. And I remember one time we were down in the valley, and I tried to bail out alfalfa hay, and I broke a shaft on a baler. And I was having all kinds of problems. And I'm out there at night tearing that baler down. Next day, all day, I had to drive 80 or 90 miles to a place that a machine shop could make that shaft. They finally got that shaft made. I took it back. At five o'clock the next morning, I'm trying to get all this mess put back together. And I hadn't slept. Dad hadn't slept. I mean, we hadn't eaten right or anything else. And I just followed Sudden, I just followed him. I said, Dad, I can't go no longer. Remember, he's 35 years older than me. He'd been with me every second. He said, Son, I've seen it like this for days and days. And then get worse.
1: <laughs>
0: he said, We can make it. And I looked over at him and I said, Dad, if you're your age and you can say that, and you can stay with me, surely I can do it. So it gave me that burst and I got on and I got that thing cut together and by about eight o'clock that morning, nine o'clock, we was out in the field and and he started baling that hay because alfalfa, it, it's got a very short window. If it dries too much, then it gets real crisp and the leaves all fall off and it ain't good for nothing. And so he was out there baling early and as he was baling, I was hauling hay. We baled hay and hauled hay. All day, you know. I thought if Dad can do that, I can do that. See, you need words of encouragement, you know. But as Christians, that's the kind of daddies that us men need. We don't need a daddy that's grumbling and complaining about everything. Say, oh me, I've been up till ten o'clock tonight. Forget it. You want me to go help you do something? And it's going to be twelve o'clock before I get back. I gotta have my sleep. Forget it. I ain't got time to help you. I'm not much of a daddy. He wasn't the kind mine was, I guarantee. Mine would stay with me as long as it took and do whatever it took because he was founded on the Word of God. And he was a man that knew God. Now, we're close as well as I know him now, but he knew him. And he was a great dad. And if anything I'm grateful for, I can look back at my mother and dad and I am grateful I had two people that brought me into the world that loved the King and that loved each other and stayed married all their years and in all their years of married life, (coughs) which was about fifty five or fifty six years, whatever, I never heard my mother and dad have a disagreement of no kind in their entire life. (coughs) That's unique, isn't it? My dad one time I sat down there to dinner one day and my mother, of course, she had worked hard all day and she'd cooked and and Dad came in for supper, and I sat down, and I, uh, I'm just a kid, you know. And I I said, Mom, is this all we're going to have for supper? My dad, he kind of banged on the table and said, Son, if you don't like what your mama's worked so hard for to put together, he said, You just get up and go, and you won't eat. He said, Now you tell your mother you're sorry, and you tell her you're grateful for the hard work she's done making this meal for you tonight. Ooh. I said, Yes, Mom, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm grateful. I never did that again either, let me tell you.
1: <laughs>
0: he looked very stern when he told me, What do you been? You tell your mother you're sorry. She works hard today to prepare that food for you you know, and for me. You tell her how grateful you are. But see, he knew things I didn't know. He taught me some things that really stuck with me. Isn't he awesome? Yeah. God is awesome. Then he says, The Jewish ceremony of circumcision is worth something only if you obey God's law. Now, these were the Jewish people. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God give them all the rights and honors of being His own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will be much better off than you Jews who are circumcised and know so much about God's law but don't obey it. So in other words, if you know, remember the scripture where the king says, If you know to do something and don't do it, I will beat you with, what did he say? Many stripes. But he said, if you don't know it and don't do it, I will beat you with few stripes. Wow. Somebody said, well, then I don't want to know. (laughs) No, I believe I'd rather know and obey and then I don't get beat with few or many. Is that true? And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be beaten by the king, do you? No, I don't like it. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the Jewish ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. So if you've got your heart right with God, you can say, I'm a true Jew. You can just say that. Somebody said, well, are you a Jew? I say, you better believe I am. I'm a true one. But you better make sure your heart's right before you say that. And true circumcision is not a cutting of the body, but a change of heart produced by God's Spirit. Now, who is it that can straighten you and me up? The Spirit of the living God. Without Him, forget it. Like we've talked many times Just like Jesus told His men, go to Jerusalem and wait for the coming of the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't leave home without the infilling power of the Holy Spirit. You know, if you haven't asked for the infilling power of the Holy Spirit, don't go another second in your life. And then once you ask, you have to believe you have received it. You have to believe you have received it. Now... Receiving the infilling power of the Holy Spirit works just exactly like receiving salvation or healing or anything else. If you ask the Lord to save you, if you say, Lord, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe you raised him from the dead on the third day. So I, by faith, receive Jesus as my Savior. Now, you must do that by faith. Now, you walk out the door and I say, well, what do you think? Are you saved? He said, Well, I sure do hope so. Did you do that by faith? No. What did she what should she have said? It is written. I mean, I, I received it. So you believe you're born again? Absolutely. What did did you hear any angels talking to you? No. Did you see any bright lights? Hear any bells? Well then you're a dummy. How do you know you're not saved? How do you know you're really saved?
1: Because
0: it is written. Amen. It is written. See, now the world will tell you, Oh, you foolish thing, you. How you've been cheated. You know, it's not that simple. You couldn't just confess with your mouth and believe with your heart and really be born again. See, the devil will do everything he can to steal your salvation. Well, when you ask for the infilling power of the Holy Ghost, he says if you ask, he will give him to you. So when you ask, you say, Lord, thank you, I got it. You walk out the door and say, How do you feel? Not any different. Well, then you don't have the Holy Ghost. Oh, yes, I do. How do you know? you have? It's written. He said, ask and he shall give him to me. So once I got the infilling power of the Holy Ghost, somebody said, you know, if you can't prophesy after you received the Holy Ghost, you really didn't get him. That's not true. That's not true at all. Well, if you can't speak in at least one unknown tongue, the very minute you get filled with the Holy Ghost, you didn't get him. In fact, if you can't speak in tongues, you're you're going to hell. You ever heard of church? I've heard people in church tell you that. I mean, there's every kind of lie in the world out there. That none of them line up with the word. Jesus said, if you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart, you're saved. You got to believe you're saved. You know that. And then you may go through your whole life, and right up to the end, the devil says, you know, you ain't never seen nobody. You ain't never seen no miracles, no healings, or nothing. You didn't really get nothing. You know. And you'd be like this old guy. I forget what the gentleman's name was, but I heard a testimony here a while back. Some of you may have heard it, about this guy in Australia that went through all through his life, an old gentleman. He started out fairly young. He got a bunch of tracks telling people. He'd walk up to somebody. It was a military town, so it was all kinds of U.S. military guys and everybody coming, and they'd come down these streets in Australia. And I think it was in Sydney or wherever it was. And he'd run up to him. He'd say, if you die tonight, you know where you spend eternity. And most of them would say no. And he said, "Here, read this." And he'd hand him a track and walk off. That's all he ever did. If you die tonight, you know where really you spend eternity. Here, take one of these. And he said, I, "In fact, there was a man over here in America that run into so many men. How'd you get saved? Maybe a guy's a doctor of theology in a seminary." Or oh, he said, "I was in the military in the Navy, and I was over in the Sydney, Australia, or wherever, and I run into this old guy on whatever street, and he asked me a question: If you die tonight, you know where really you spend eternity? He said, I didn't have a clue." He said, hand me a little deal, and I read it. and said, I accepted Jesus out of that, and that's what started my walk with God. And after this guy run into so many of these men that run into the same guy, he thought, man, I'm going to go back over there to Australia. I've got to go there anyway. I'm going to go on that street while I'm down there, and I'm going to see if I can find that man. He said, I went down there, and I asked you a question. So, where is Mr. So-and-so? And one of the men said, oh, he's old now, and he's up in his house. He's really sick. He said, well, I'd like to go visit him. So he said, I'll take you up there. He said, I went up to the guy's house, and here this old guy was. He was letting her really sick, and he said, sir, I, I, I know you don't know me, but I'd just like to come talk to you. He said, obviously, you really know Jesus. Oh, he said, yes, son. I know Jesus. I've loved him. I've served him. I've walked up and down these streets. I've asked thousands of people about Jesus, but said, I've never had a taker. Never had anybody's life been changed. He said, I guess I'm going to get home and I'm going to be a complete Savior before the King. He said, sir, let me tell you about just a few of the men that I know that you handed that tract to that got saved. They're now doing this, that, started churches. Thousands of people have come to Christ. On and on and on and on. He smile, came across the old man's face. He looked up and said lord you have honored my work he said i'm ready to come home and the old man died see god sent a man on earth just a few minutes before to let him know that his work on earth was not
1: in vain
0: isn't that awesome that god would do that this man thought he was a total failure The devil was beating up on him. Oh, you old worthless guy, you. You know, you you didn't do nothing. But only God kept the records. And he knew the people, which evidently was in the thousands that this man had touched their lives. Isn't that amazing? So, when you say, I've only led one man to Jesus my whole life. You say, who was it? They said, well, my name's Billy Sunday, and I only led one. His name was Billy Graham. <laughs> you led Billy Graham to Jesus? I guess I've been a total savior. <laughs> if he gets to share the rewards of Billy Graham, <laughs> there's going to be plenty of them there, isn't there? For all of them. But see, you never know when you lead somebody to Jesus. You have no idea what God's going to do with that life and that soul. So don't let the devil beat up on you. Walk in faith. Walk in love. And if the Word of God says something by faith, believe it, receive it. If it says you can confess with your mouth, Jesus, the Lord, believe in your heart the Father raised Him from the dead, when you do that? I don't care. Don't Never let the devil steal that from you. Never. I'm saved. And if you say... Well, praise God, I need the infilling power of the Holy Ghost. Lord, I ask you to fill me and flow into that Holy Ghost into me. And Lord, I believe I've got it. The next day the devil said, you didn't feel a thing. You ain't seen a thing. There ain't been a thing changing in your life. He said, devil, I asked him to fill me. He said, he can't lie. I'm full to overflowing with the Holy Ghost. I don't know what he's going to do with me this week, but he's going to do something great and mighty with me. I don't know what it is, but he's going to do it. And if you don't have to, I'm going to tell you, you don't have to walk in nothing that you can feel. Somebody said, Thurman, you must feel awesome things when you lay hands on the sick, when you pray for people, when you cast out demons. I don't ever feel nothing. Nothing. People said, oh my gosh, you laid your hands on. I feel a fire in your hand. I said, oh, you feel a fire in that?
1: <laughs> I don't feel it.
0: <laughs> I don't live in a world of feeling. I live in a world of faith. And if the king said it, I believe I can do it. Isn't that where you've got to get? Now, surely, I will, I say, there may be those that say, and I've had people that say, you know, that when I've touched them, they felt something. But I also had a lady write me a letter this last week. I don't know where she got her information. She talked about pushing people down choking people and all that kind of stuff and said, Thurman, you need to quit doing that or you're lawful to get sued. I thought, where in the world did she hear that? I, I said, the, I said, there's only one woman that I've ever grabbed and choked, and it was my wife. <laughs> and all of you, or at least most of you know that story. That whenever she'd come in with that demon that night and I grabbed her and she couldn't even talk and I grabbed her and shook her and screamed to that devil, commanded to come out and God instantly healed my wife right before my very eyes. As far as I know, that's the only person I've ever choked. And I did it lightly, you know, I mean, I didn't hurt her at all. And I've never pushed anybody down, you know, I've, we don't have that. But how many people have we had get healed at our healing schools? I mean, in the thousands. I mean, Sharon, she, back there, she is a good. And, of course, my own wife back there in the back. She's back there, too. She, I mean, when I prayed for her, she didn't feel nothing. I mean, you didn't feel a thing. But she got healed. And just like Sharon, the only thing you felt was the pain leave, right? Hey, that's all. I didn't push Sharon down. I didn't push Cheryl down. I never have pushed nobody down. I don't do that. I just pray for you. I do what Ty says. I do the natural, and God does the supernatural. Now then, when I back off of you, if he wants to lay you on the floor, that's up to him. you know. But I ain't going to push you down. I'm just going to pray for you and let God do his thing. So, praise the, king. praise the King. You got a question, Susan? Well, there is
1: one exception. When a demon manifests and they're thrashing on the floor, you pin them down.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> that
1: might be what they were talking that's about.
0: Not the, we've had that a time or two, haven't we? Yeah, Susan's been here a whole lot. She's seen a couple of times when a, a demon would manifest in somebody or something, and we have had to have, you know, as many as three men, the whole one woman. You know, uh, we've had a few demons manifest here. Not too many, thank goodness. You know, and as a rule, usually when they do manifest as a rule, most people are gone home. You know, so that's just the way it is, but... Uh, uh, and, and of course, now. Ty, you ain't been praying for a demon to manifest lately, uh, have you? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> the last time that happened, I had stopped praying for demons to manifest and I didn't realize he'd started praying, he and Cheryl. They had started praying for demons to manifest and God we need some excitement in church.
1: <laughs>
0: well they prayed and that day we had some excitement, okay. Woo! And that demon manifest that woman right here, man, it was awesome. But, uh, and then after it was all over, I thought, oh, man, I don't know why that happened. I said, you know, I said I prayed for a while for this not to happen. He said, oh, Cheryl, and I wanted to see it, so we've been praying for it. I thought, uh-oh. So anyway, he got his prayers answered that day. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you, Lord, and we praise you and thank you. We're so grateful for this mighty book and these mighty promises that you put in here. And we know, Lord, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you're the King of kings and Lord of lords and your Daddy. And you don't want to chasten us. You don't want to do these things to us. But, Lord, you want to, your glory and your honor and your power to flow through us every day. And all you said we got to do is obey you. And that will happen. And you will bless everything we put our hands to. And, Lord, you also showed us tonight where that if we don't, sooner or later, some kind of consequences will come upon us. And you are one that does not show favoritism. So, Lord, it makes no difference to you. We're all your children. So, Father, help us all to be about your business this week, to walk in obedience to your word, to walk holy, to be about your business, so that we can bring glory and honor to your name. And, Father, help us to walk in that love walk so people truly, as your love is so uh, empowering us, that people will be drawn to us to know you because of the love walk we're walking in. We want to see that. We want to walk in that. And we want to see you answer our prayers when we pray for people. We want, you to, we want to see you do signs and miracles and wonders among the people so they will really know that you are God. Lord, you don't have to convince your, prove yourself to us. We know you're God. But we love to see you do these great mighty signs and miracles and wonders. I love it, Lord, when you do those things. Lord, we praise you. We worship you. We thank you. And as we go this week, That each one of us bring somebody else into the kingdom of God this week. Lord, at least one. Every one of us bring at least one this week into the kingdom of God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name,
1: amen.